verse number 14 of Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25, the Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway he took his journey. Then he, then he that had received the five talents went and traded the same, and made them over five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained... I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Verse 24. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sow not, and gathereth where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money into exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to, unto him which hath ten talents. For every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray as we look into this passage for a few moments. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We thank you for these parables that you, have, that you told to your disciples, and not that it was only meant for them, but it was meant for us. And as we look into it now for the next few moments, may you open our eyes, may you see uh, things in this scripture um, that would transform our life. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a parable about investments, about investments investments. Everybody likes a good investment. Everybody wants to run away from a bad investment. If you knew you were going to reap a big return, you would definitely invest your money in it. But if you knew that you were not going to get anything back, you would stay as far away from it as you possibly could. There's a lot of talk now about about um, you know stocks and different things, and I'm not sure some of you've been maybe been keeping up with the the GameStop stock and the controversy over that whole issue. And I know some of the Sweats and Bowers they've been dabbling in that a little bit. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to invest their money a little bit so they can get a return, so they can make something for it. God has invested something in each and every one of us. What type of investment are you? 
What type of investment is Chris Barrows? Tonight is the night of self-evaluation, not looking at anybody else, a a time of self-reflection to see, are we a good investment? Would we invest in ourselves if we were in God's predicament? Well, he's definitely entrusted us with different abilities, and we'll look at some of those things tonight. And there's some principles that we can gain from this text that are life-changing if we apply them. They are life-changing. This parable, the, the, the children's phrase that is often applied to parables is that parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The greatest teacher that ever walked the earth was Jesus Christ. And he chose simple stories that had profound meanings, that, that philosophers stumble over the meaning of them even today. His disciples, when, when he would get done when he would finish telling them one of these, these stories, they would, their minds would be boggled. They would not know the meaning, the spiritual meaning that was behind it. And of course, Jesus usually would elaborate on those. And so tonight, there are some profound, profound meanings that we can gain from these. And the first one that I want you to see is that uh, verse number 15, we are not all the same. We are not all the same. Verse number 15, it says, And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. We are all different. Amen? Amen. How many of you are glad that you are not like the person next to you? You're glad? We'll turn right to him. Let's all together. I'm glad I'm not like you. Yes, we won't do that, especially if it's not, if it's your wife or close family member. Don't do it. But generally, we're glad we're not the people that we associate. We're glad we're individual. We're glad that we are unique. God created you special. He created me special with a special purpose that is not the same purpose of the person sitting next to you or close to you or three rows back. We are different. And two people are not exactly the same. They can be very similar. They can be close. But no two people, I believe, in all the world are exactly the same, made with the exact same intricate, intricate um, purposes. And all Christians tend to look at other Christians and maybe admire, maybe admire somebody else who is strong in the faith or has certain abilities or characteristics that God's bestowed on that person. And it's very simple, very easy to look at these other people and be jealous of their talents, of their abilities. I've seen preachers that I've got to know and to come by and think, wow, if I could be like that. That's a slippery slope. God created me a certain way. He created you a certain way with certain jobs and obligations for you to fulfill and for me to fulfill. And I don't want to be trying to copycat what somebody else is doing. I ought to stick with what I'm good at. Jesus, he divided unto each of these, um, the master, which we know to be Jesus in this parable, the master divided unto his servants different amounts. One got five, one got two, one received one talent. And he did so, the verse says, according to their several abilities, according to how much they could accomplish, how much they could handle. He knew his servants. He knew what they could accomplish. And so he did not overload them with something they could not handle. He figured out where they were and what they needed, and he applied that to them. I believe God's real smart. 
I believe he knows exactly what's going on. I believe he knows what's best for you. I believe he knows what's best for me. And when he, what he divvies out to each and every one of us, we ought to think God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So if you've got two talents, don't be jealous of the guy who's got five talents. If you've got one talent, don't be jealous of the guy that has two talents or five talents. Put your hand to the plow. Accomplish what God has given you to accomplish and stop looking at what everybody else has going on and put your hand to what God has given you to do. We assume that certain positions are more valuable than others. In our earthly mindset, that's, that's what we perceive, that certain jobs and certain ministries are more valuable than others. But is that really the way that God sees it? Paul, the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can turn there with me if you will. We'll read a few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The early church was struggling with this, this same, the same thing that we're talking about tonight. Jealousy about different gifts of the Spirit. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes to clear those things up that we would have a good mindset about, about how the body of Christ works. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 4, it says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversity of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. And of course, after listing a variety of different spiritual gifts, in verse 11, he says, But all these worketh, that one and the selfsame spirit dividing every to every man severally as he will. And a few verses later, he helps us understand why. Um, the next verse, verse 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And verse 21 says, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need for thee, nor again the hand, head to the feet, I have no need for you, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. That there, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice in it. In this congregation, we all have different abilities. But God allows the church to function where all those abilities work together to accomplish one goal and one task. The nursery over here tonight, I'm thankful for the nursery. If the nursery, if there was not people that were called, you have to be called to work in the nursery. You know that, right? You have to be called. We've had a few Jonas. They've run. They've come back. They've, they're in there. You guys listen to me now. It's tough. My kids are in there. I know. This service would not be very peaceful if we did not have folks taking care of the children. You say, well, that's not an important job. It's a very important job. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If people cannot concentrate and cannot hear, what are we doing? It's a very important job, but maybe it gets looked down on. Maybe you think that that's not a very important job, but it is of utmost importance. 
importance. Without that job, this would not be able to effectively happen. The different, the different thing, all the way down to opening up, locking up, closing up, shutting the lights off, turning them on, the people dedicated to play the music, oh, it's not really that big a deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. People who week after week hop on the church bus and make the thing happen, it's not a whole bunch of people that make it. It's individuals who say, this job's important. This is the work of the Lord. They apply their hand to it. Maybe they don't understand. Maybe they think that it's, it's, it's not the top job, but it's important just like the top job is important. If everybody took their job as serious as the head pastor takes his job, the church would be rolling. It would be on fire. Things would be accomplished. Every single job is important. And it has to do with the way that God looks at it. Everybody has different abilities. In professional sports, um, I like watching basketball. I haven't watched much basketball lately. Politics, all that tends to ruin the joy of it. But I do like watching sports occasionally. And even at, at the professional level, people, the, the professional athletes, they get good at their job. The, the, the role on the team that they are supposed to have. They realize everybody wants to be the scorer, right? They want to be the person on the highlight reel that gets all the, the dunks or, or they shoot all the three-pointers or they hit the shot at the buzzer. But not every person on the team is going to have that role. Usually that's one or two people. On, on the great teams, you need a good defensive player. Somebody that realizes, hey, okay, I'm not going to get all the opportunities to shoot, to, to show off my skills on offense, but I'm going to hone in on my skill, defense, and it's going to change the outcome for this team. A few professional athletes, um, um, Draymond Green is one who recently, he's dedicated to defense. There's a guy for the Bulls, I won't mention his name, not very good character. He was, uh, he was very dedicated to be a defensive player. There's, there's some guys that go out on the court and all they, their, their one goal is to rebound. And if they focus on rebounding, their team is going to win. Or if they focus on keeping people out of the paint so that nobody can just drive in there and make easy baskets, the team is going to succeed and is going to win. But if everybody on the team starts wanting to do the, do the role that gets all the glory, the whole thing falls apart and nobody wins. That's churches. That's churches today. Everybody wants to be the big shot. Everybody wants to be the person who's getting the accolades, or everybody wants to be the person who has maybe their name up on the sign out front. But that ought not to be the way it should be because we are all together trying to accomplish one goal. Everybody is, should just be doing the job that God has gifted to them. I've worked on projects where everybody wants to be the chief. Nobody wants to be the Indian. We got like 35 chiefs, right? 35 chiefs. People want to be the leaders, but we got nobody who wants to just take orders. Be happy being the person that, that just takes orders. Without those people... The job doesn't get accomplished and doesn't get finished. And I've been on many jobs that it's taken three, four, five, six, seven hours longer because people won't just submit and get in a role that fits for them. Let one person do what they should do and continue on with what they've done. It's not only limited to gifts and abilities, but it's also limited to opportunity, opportunity that God has given you opportunity that I don't have. For some of you in here, God has blessed you with wealth. May it not curse you. 
but God has blessed you with wealth. And you have an opportunity to share the gospel with people that I would never rub shoulders with. I will never rub shoulders with. You don't have to worry about that. But you have a unique opportunity that I don't have. I rub shoulders with people that you would never see. I'm fulfilling my obligation to the people that I'm around. You're fulfilling your obligation to the people that you're around. We're all doing our job to get the gospel to our area. And it's not only limited to to money. We all have time. We all have talents. We all have uh, different personalities. But it's not only just that. It's also limited to, to things that God has maybe allowed happen to you that is going to make a difference for eternity. Maybe it's a, a diagnosis that you didn't want to hear. We'll brag on Nick Carbon here. He, don't, he doesn't know I'm going to say this, but he, of course, we know that uh, he announced a few months ago that he has the early stages of Parkinson's, just found that out. But what I'm going to brag on him is he called me on the phone and told me, hey, you know, this is what I got. And he said, I told God, I told God that when I, I got this Parkinson's, when I got the diagnosis, that I want to be the best guy that's ever had it. What is that? That's a guy who's just taken the talents and the opportunities that God has given him, and he's going to do something with it. He's willing. Whatever God puts in his hand, he's going to use it. Would he have asked for that? No, but that's what the master has given him. And so he's going to do the best with it that he possibly can. That's what I want to do. That's what you should want to do, is just please the master with whatever he has given us. Figure out your talents. Figure out what abilities you have, what opportunities, maybe what spiritual gifts God has given you, and get to work at those, and stop looking at what everybody else has got, and look at what you have, and expound on those things that God has given you and the unique opportunities, and do something with them. Gospel Baptist Church needs you to do your part in what God has given you. And the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to do your part to spread the gospel to our area and to the world. You say, I don't know what my abilities are. Ask somebody who knows you. Ask somebody. They will be quick to tell you what you are good at. And they will be very quick to tell you what you are not good at. They will be very quick to tell you that. People ask, they say, I don't know what my gifts are. Ask somebody. People know, they observe you, they see you, they can tell you easily what you're good at and what you're not good at. Also, another principle that we see here is that our talents, our talents, they belong to God. They belong to God. That is utterly important that we understand that the gifts God has given us, they belong to him. They're not to be used for our own selfish purposes and our selfish ambitions. Last week, we looked at the life of Samson. This is a person who did not understand that his gifts were given to him by God. He did not understand that they belonged to God. And instead, he used it to fulfill his own fleshly and lustly desires. As we look at Samson going and seeing uh, uh, encounter after encounter after encounter with the Philistines, we see that generally he was doing it for his own pleasure and for his own fulfillment. The change of clothes that he went down there, he wasn't trying to serve the Lord God. He was trying to pay up a debt that he had. When he took the, Phil- the, the gate out of uh, the Philistine city and marched it up to the top of the hill, he wasn't doing that for God. He was doing that to get out of his own predicament that he had got himself in. 
We must understand that our talents, they belong to God. Our time, our wealth, our influence, our power, our speech, our philosophy. Somebody said, nothing we have except our sin is our own. Is that about that? Nothing that we have except our sin is our own. Samuel Morris, of course, the the man who uh, invented the Morse code, he goes on and, of course, he received many honors through uh, his accomplishment. And uh, he made this statement after somebody was interviewing him. He said, I have made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. He understood that the talents and gifts and opportunities and wisdom and philosophy that God has given him, he understood that they were God's. And God was lending to them to him for a purpose. Think about how the gospel has gotten all around the world simply because of an invention such as this, which developed into something else and turned into something. Now we have the internet. We preach a sermon, and you wouldn't believe some of the places that even this, this sermon goes because of the internet. But it all started with somebody who's willing to use their, the gifts that God has given them. And so even the wicked servant, I find this interesting, even the wicked servant who buried his talent in the earth, he did not deny that the talent was the master's. He says in verse number 25, he says, And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. The servant was ahead of many Christians that I meet. The servant understood that the talent belonged to the master. Christians, we ought to understand that our talents belong to the Lord and they ought to be used for the Lord's service. Calvinists, they may not like this, but God has given us a lot of choices. He has given us a lot of choices and we get to choose whether we serve God or whether we don't. Of course, remember, we must live with those consequences as well. So we've seen that our talents are the masters. Next, we see that hard work is a requirement. Hard work is a requirement if you're going to gain a return on the investment. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. The average young person today does not know how to work. Amen? It's true. They don't know how to work. If you want a young person to learn how to work, send them with Mr. Lloyd Gordon. And all the bowers and sweat said... Amen. They know. They know. Take a trip down to Haiti or go up there to, uh, to Canada with him. He'll put you to work. Folks nowadays, young people, you say, what do you want to do when you grow up? Now, don't, don't die of a heart attack in here. Please, please do not die of a heart attack when I tell you this. You ask these young people today, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a professional video game player. <laughs> It's actually an occupation, but it's very few and very slim. People don't want to work today. They don't know what the meaning of hard work is. They've never been pushed to do it. And showing results does not necessarily mean hard work. Showing results does not necessarily mean hard work. Being superior in performance does not mean hard work. And just because you show superiority in performance does not mean that you are successful either. We all know of a student, and we hate this student's guts, 
we hate this person's guts, we don't like them, is the student who never tries, never tries, but aces everything and is top of the class. Did they put forth hard work? No. We're struggling, getting C's, getting B's. They're not doing anything. But did they experience hard work? Did they experience success? Maybe in our earthly mindset we would say yes, but spiritually we would say absolutely not. We must put forth hard work in spiritual matters. If you never put in hard work, you will never be successful in the things of God. You cannot ride on your ability alone. You must have hard work. It's not going to be, Pastor Bill, if you're watching this, this is for you. This is his favorite statement, tongue-in-cheek, by the way. It's not going to be easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. I just found out recently that he hates that phrase. That's for you. Easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. What's hard work going to do for you? It's going to push you. Hard work will get you to the place where you want to quit. Hard work is when you're week after week going out on the bus ride and you'd rather be out eating lunch in the afternoon than riding the bus dropping off all the kids, but you do it anyways because it's, it's what God's placed in your hands. And so you put your hand to the plow and you keep going after it. It's when you show up early to get the place ready. You may not like to do it, but it's necessary. And we put our hand to it and we do it week after week, month after month. Maybe you maybe teaching a Sunday school class wears on you, but you do it and you put forth the hard work because you want to expound upon the gifts that God has given you. And lastly, we see our effort and results will be inspected. Our effort and results will be inspected. Some Christians have the idea of, I've got my ticket to heaven, that's all that matters. Right. That won't last very long when you get there and you see God face to face and you have to, you have to answer to God like this wicked servant answered to his master. It's not going to be just, okay. It's going to be a, a sad, rude awakening for many folks who got invested in, but they did nothing. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with him. I don't think that I perceive, I perceive that the servants did not know when the master was going to show up. They didn't know when he was going to show up. None of us actually knows when the Lord's coming back. By the signs of the times, we look and see, wow, it's got to be close. The early Christians, they thought it was close. They were living in earnest expectation that God, that Jesus Christ could return at any moment. And here we are 2,000 years later living with that same exact expectation because we don't know when the master is going to return. And when he comes, we want to be found faithful in the opportunities he's given us to do. But also we have no idea when our life is going to be over and it's going to be concluded. Uh, just yesterday I heard of my pastor from Little Rock, Arkansas, about eight years or so, was my pastor and my family's pastor there when we first moved there. David Smith, he passed away yesterday. He, lives, he lived locally over in LaBelle, and he actually attended Winkler Road Baptist Church for many years, and Pastor Don Strange was his pastor, and, you know, relatively unexpected. Yesterday, he passed away. Pastor Strange told me on the way out that he had talked to him yesterday morning and had no idea. 
Little did he probably know that that day was going to be his last day and that the master is going to be inspecting his work. There's no more time at that point to go back and try to undo or redo some of the things that we've done or not done. We're left with the choices that we have made. The time, the time for inspection is come. As the master surveyed the servant's work, here's what we see. He was not concerned with who had the most ability or who had the most talents, but he was far more concerned with what the servants did with what he gave them. He had the, response, the same response for the man that had two talents as he did for the man who had five. Did you notice that? Here's what it said. He says to both of them, he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. To both of them, they got the same. Well, one guy had five. Shouldn't he get more of a reward than, than the guy who only had two things? No, because that's not the way the master was looking at it. He was looking that they both produced hard work. They both used their abilities to the best that they could. And because they both did everything that they could, the best job that they could, they both got rewarded the same. That's why at the beginning of the message when I talked about the body and how we think some, some, uh, some jobs are not as important as others, that's not the way God looks at it. I think there's, there's going to be some janitors in heaven that get more reward than some preachers. Don't you think so? It's the way God looks at it. Some janitors, some folks who are cleaning, that are doing the smallest tasks that you would never think you say that's insignificant. God doesn't look at it that way. He's placed it in their hands and they're using it to the best of their abilities while other people squander the, the great opportunities that we think that God has given them. They just waste it. Do nothing with it. Jesus Christ, he focuses on what he gave us. Are you at the top of your ladder? The highest pinnacle of what God has for you? Be satisfied with that. Everybody has the, has the top of their ladder, the highest that they are going to go. Find the top of your ladder and get busy. Get to work. If, if the top of your ladder is teaching a Sunday school class at Gospel Baptist Church, be the best Sunday school teacher we have. If the top of your ladder is being a, how about a helper in a Sunday school class? If that is your highest calling and that's what God has given you to do, be the best helper that we have at Gospel Baptist Church. If you are a, a bus driver and, you, and that's your highest calling, the top of your lap, put the pedal to the metal and pick up some kids. Do it. If you're, if you're a wife and a mother and your highest calling is raising your children and having a godly home, go for it. Don't be looking at what all these other women and ladies are doing and, and looking at, oh, well, I'm not. No, you be at the top of your calling. Be at the top of your calling. Be at the top of your ladder. I had one uh, professor at college. He had been assistant pastor for many years. And people often asked him, why aren't you a senior pastor? I mean, you've been here for, you know, 30 years or so. And he said, because it's my highest calling. He understood where his place was. He found peace because he was right smack dab in the middle of the will of God and he wasn't jealous about what other people are doing and what other positions people had, but he was putting his hand to the plow and doing what God gave him to do. He found the top of his ladder. Find the top of yours and get busy. What's going to count at the judgment seat is what God has given you to do. 
We don't get cut any breaks because we didn't have as much responsibility as the preacher had. We don't get any breaks cut. The two got the guy with one got a, a horrible punishment. Horrible. But I think the guy with five, if he had been in the same predicament, he would have got the same. Verse 30 says, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We each have been distributed according to our several ability, and we're being held to the results of our ability. Spurgeon, he says, If there be degrees in glory, they will be not distributed according to our talents, but according to our faithfulness in using them. As to whether there are degrees or not, I know not. But this I know, he that doeth the Lord's will shall have said to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Whether we, in our minds, have a lowly job or a high job, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The wicked servant, he was reprimanded and punished. And the response of the master was, that he would have been more happy if he would have just tried to invest in something. I believe even if he would have lost it, at least he tried what he could. Many men have been called to preach, but they do nothing with it. They take their talent, they stick it in the ground, they bury it. Many folks have been called to be missionaries, but they don't answer the call. That's God's talent. He's given to them. They take it, they put it in the ground, they bury it, they do nothing with it. Do you think that the world would be reached if America alone, if missionaries and if people in America alone would surrender to the call to preach and go to foreign missions? Do you think that the world would be evangelized? Absolutely. If the early believers could turn the world upside down for Christ, I think of all the millions of of Americans that we could do something like that as well. Many people, they know what God's given them to do, but they bury it in the sand. He said, verse 25, I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. Are you afraid of failure? Many people do nothing because they are afraid of failure. Don't let the fear of failure stop you from accomplishing what God has given you to do. We can be less afraid, I believe, of failure if we think about it this way. John Wooden, he was a Christian, but also he was maybe the most famous basketball coach, college basketball coach that ever was. He had many championships at UCLA, and he defined success this way. He said, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. There's a lot of bests in there. But knowing that, that you did your best to become the best that you are capable of being. Our coach, um, at, at Crown, when I played basketball there, he made this statement to us, and he talked about this quote right here, and he, he was telling us, be satisfied with the results of your best effort. Be satisfied with the results of your best effort. He says, you may get to the place where you get to shoot a shot at the buzzer to win the game or lose the game, but be satisfied with the results of your best effort. What he was saying was, don't be upset just because you fail. He meant by that was, Practice after practice, maybe you get that shot over in the corner on the three-point line, the shot that's going to be at the buzzer, and you get that shot, and and day after day you practice that, practice it, practice it, practice it. You come to the game time. You get in that exact predicament. You spend hours, hours, days practicing that one shot, and at the buzzer, you get the ball gets passed to you, and you it leaves your finger right as the buzzer goes off, and you do everything that you've practiced, everything 
that you've done. You had your elbow in. You had your feet apart, shoulder width. You had, you, you had your, your arm in an L shape. You let it fly. And it goes in the rim, rolls around, and come, comes out. Sad moment, right? But do you have to feel like a, like a total failure? Are you still successful in that moment? Absolutely, 100%, because you've done the best of your ability. Be satisfied doing the best of your ability, even if you fail. If God's called you to do something, you're saying, I can never do that. I'm not going to do anything with it. God will never use me. Don't be afraid of failure. Put your hand, if you fall flat on your face doing what God wants you to do, it's not going to be your fault. It's not going to be your fault. I don't think God will let you fall on your face. And no matter what happens, do it anyway. Do it anyway. I want to be like the two servants, whether I got five talents or whether I have two talents. I want to be like them. I don't want to be like the guy that God's given such great responsibility to, and he takes it, hides it away, sits on his hands. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunities that you've given us and the abilities and the personalities and the endeavors that you place on each and every one of our hearts. And it is our desire to be successful. And when we, when we view these different abilities and gifts that you've given to us, may we, may we view them the way you view them. That they are all of utmost importance. That when we stand before you, there's not one job that's more important than another that you care about the effort that we put forth. Help us in this moment as we have a little bit of invitation. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.